Hey everyone, Eric here. I'm excited to announce our newest show on investing at Turpentine, Sorcery by Molly O'Shea. Sorcery brings the conversations investors and founders have behind closed doors to light. Past episodes have featured Alex Kolitsich of AVC, Xander Oltman of Commodity Capital, and David Weisberg of 10X Capital, whom you might know from another Turpentine show. This is the show for investors by investors. We dive deep into topics like the significance of LPGP dynamics, portfolio construction, if SaaS is really dead, AI theses and predictions, and more. Check it out by searching Sorcery on any podcast platform today. Well, let's just take the time, like, like actually break down when we say, can we get people to move to SF and change the city? So SF is the better one because the city is... Is eight hundred thousand? Maybe it's a million people. You know, it's, it's it's not actually that big of a city relative to New York, right? So if, let let's just take the how many supervisors? Eight, twelve? I, I I forget. Let's just keep it simple. Ten supervisors, and each election, the the the, the swing vote is a thousand of votes, right? So you just need to get you know that thousand people in that that district to reliably vote for the the better of the candidates. So now you need 10,000 people in 10 district or, you know, like 1,000 people in 10 districts, so you have 10,000 people. Basic example, $5,000 a month stipend for your apartment if, if you're on this thing. And the way it works is you can't prove someone voted, but maybe there's some kind of ways to do it in terms of like, okay, if the, if the, if the candidate doesn't win, you, you lose this type. So you, you're kind of incentivized to just like, okay, like I'm going to go vote for this because I, I, I want. Let's just make the assumption you could really drive those 10,000 people, so 1,000 in each district to vote. So $5,000 a month times 12 is 60,000 times 10,000 people, 600 million a year. I mean, Elon has that as like couch cushion money. So- <laughs> But I mean, you got to raise a bunch of money and it, and it's a one year expense. So the question is, is like of what percentage of his net worth, like, you know, obviously he's very tied up with Twitter, but like you could, you could go cobble it together from a couple of people. You can kind of view it as, I mean, what is it, what is a presidential campaign at this point? A billion, $2 billion all in, in terms of like the pack and money and, and, and campaign money. So 600 million for the, the kind of like epicenter of, of growth in the country to like flip the city and actually get all of the supervisors flipped. Where were you this weekend? I was in Tahoe, uh, posted a retreat. It was great. What kind of uh, topics were you guys talking about? We had some open AI folks. So it was a AI segment. It was, it was 40 people. It was kind of unconference style. Like multiple, you know, there was like an intellectual track. Oh, so it was called SF is back. So it was a SF crew, and there was a lot of SF like community builders, politi- politics people, um, and AI people, and um, you know, just a lot of copium around SF, <laughs> around uh, you know, uh, in, in, in a good way. Like things starting to change, people starting to care more about politics. Like we have, we have people who are full time going into office, like or, or going into politics, who were previously doing tech stuff which is encouraging and they're wondering what's the highest leverage point is it running for office or is it like organizing or uh you know in some capacity i I brought up and this inspired a tweet i had over the weekend which this idea of like hey is it worth trying to bang the republican party back or like can you change it from the moderates because that's what they're trying to do they're trying to just reform the democrat party or or, sort of uh you know from the inside win some of the soups uh positions um and then go from there but there's this critique from some tech people would just, Hey, um, you know, you'll, you'll just, there's a structural argument, which is without a viable competitor, you'll just get dragged to one side and, uh, you know, be at the most, be at the whims of the most extreme minority. And what you actually need is a competitive system, um, you know, competitive two party system that can hold as a, a check and balance. And we've seen the problems of, you know, 30 year one party or whatever, whatever, you know, multi-decade, you know, one party, uh, you know, city or state more broadly. And the criticism counter to that is, well, the Republicans are never going to win. Like California is just a left is just a leftist state uh, or, or San Francisco is just a leftist city. Most people are left. 80% of people are anti Elon Musk in San Francisco, 80% to which I got excited. Then I'll pause after this. I got excited about the idea of like, could you get more voters in San Francisco? Could you, could you change that voting demographic to be more pro pro tech? Um, 
And I put Elon as kind of a bellwether for if people are willing to, to go enough. Anyways, there's a lot there. So I'll pause. Hmm. Well, that's cool. I mean, SF, F, SF is fixed. Xi Jinping shows up. <laughs> All the, the crime and homelessness goes away. Yeah. You know, they get roads paved. You know, it took them like 10 years to pave like a bike line or something. And it's like they're paving roads overnight. So yeah. just, just have the leader of a, you know, an authoritarian, brutal, repressive regime against minorities uh, show up and boom, like the, the city can snap into action. Also yeah. helps that Gavin Newsom, who went and kissed the ring, uh, you know, just a month ago, a few weeks ago, um, is thinking about running for president. So wants to, to roll out the red carpet. Um, you know, what do you make of that? No, I mean, it's not going to be lasting. Like they're going to stop doing it, but, but I mean, you know, biology wrote a pretty epic blog post on this and, and just kind of, they're kind of just flexing that, whoa, we have the power to fix it. This is not, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not like some quantum physics problem that, that is an unsolved thing. It's like, no, they know how to like clean up the city pretty fast, um, when they want to. And so the, the fundamental question is why don't they want to, um, and you can be as cynical as you want in terms of thinking, okay, well, you know, the homeless industrial complex is the reason or, um, incompetence might, might actually just be the honest, honest answer, right? Like don't, don't assume malice when, when incompetence, uh, can suffice, but I, I don't expect it to, to revert. Like I expect it to revert very quickly back to what it was. Cause I, I don't think that this is beyond just kind of, you also have the secret service obviously is, is in SF, you know, welding manhole covers that is, that's what they do anytime the president goes somewhere. So Maybe, maybe the answer is any city in America you want cleaned up, at least for a temporary period of time, is just host the sitting president. Um, but yeah, I, I think it probably has a little bit more heightened uh, security angle, given that you're going to have all these world leaders showing up. But going back to the SF thing, it is interesting to hear that you do know people now who are running for office. I, I don't know anyone in my network. Um, par partially, I think a lot of my network moved out of SF. But my usual take is that most talented people I know have zero interest in, in running for office. They're happy to donate to someone, but the idea of kind of doing that schlep and having to kind of compromise is maybe a kind of nice way of saying it, but we kind of the, the stuff that you're going to have to do in order to, to build a winning coalition is, is beneath them or just something that's not attractive and they you know, rather make a bunch of money and, live in there let's let's talk more about Balaji's piece did you see that yeah I, I think it's a it's a flex from the people in charge is that they have the capability to clean things up they just choose not to and they can give you their set of reasons you can have the cynical set of reasons right the like homeless industrial complex or, or whatever you want to say um i think my take was don't assume malice when incompetence will do. Uh, and I think it's just they're incompetent um, and they don't care. And they know that there is no accountability. Like they're, they're going back to the idea of that there's no competitive party dynamics. Yeah. And so winning in San Francisco is about being the most progressive. Now, I don't think that's a hundred percent true in the sense that like Ed Lee and, you know, Mayor Breed are, are definitely not the most progressive relative to some of the soups, but if you actually just think about that, the mayor doesn't have a ton of sway. Um, although it's interesting as people said that mayor Lee had, you know, he's a little bit more of an old, old school machine politician. Um, and he seemed to be able to kind of deal with the, the kind of super progressive, you know, the Peskins of the world and these, these, um, uh, who, who's the other? Dean Preston, like these, these communists basically. And, um, so, I, I, I don't know. I, I think going back to what you were saying about knowing people who are running for office, my general take is that I don't think that the most, and I don't know who of your friends are, are considering it, so I don't want to pass judgment on them. But traditionally, what I found is that the most talented people I've met in Silicon Valley have no interest in running for office. And so if we, if we think of like, who are the top 
hundred most talented people, just like pure talent uh, across a wide variety of dimensions that live in Silicon Valley that have built companies and, and, and such. Are any of them considered running for office? If no, then to me, it's like it, it doesn't seem like it's a going to be a winning proposition in terms of the, how how much transformation you could get right now. If we could get pro tech people or just like basically not communists as supervisors, so maybe a centrist Democrat, the city was probably is probably going to be better governed. But you know, to use a Solana phrase of just like I just want us to be awesome, like that requires a generational talent and. And, and and maybe look, if you take the top 100 most talented people in the US, right? Again, you'd never be able to generate this list, but but just take that hypothetical here. Are any of those people running for office? Maybe it, across the whole US, maybe, maybe you get a few, but I think generally the, you just, you're attracting people who don't do as well in the kind of professional world end up running for office. In in a very few cases, I think you have truly exceptional people. Yeah. Um, and they also select for a very different thing, right? Like, especially outside of city politics, the, the bigger the stage you get, the better it's, it is about just being um, an actor, basically, right? Like, it's like mood affiliation, what, what you're selling, whether that's Obama or Trump, like, to the to the audience that appeals to, that's that's a, um, it, you're selling a vibe, right? And I don't think either of those you know, the last two presidents, I mean, Biden included, like they've never run real organizations, right? Like the US government is the biggest budget in the world. And I mean, Trump, I guess, is a business person, right? And and, and Bush before him had had some business. But but in terms of like Tim Cook runs a, a like a trillion dollar corporation, right? Like probably much more um qualified in terms of like thinking at that scale, that size of an employee base. Uh and so and 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 that's kind of Curtis's point, by the way. Like he always talks about, it. it's like who who are the best run organizations, institutions in America? They're companies, and they're in a monarchical structure because you have a CEO. Now it's a monarch who's hired by a board of directors, which then ultimately have shareholders. But in the case of a founder-led company, the largest shareholder, the board, and the the CEO is all one one thing, right? Um, but but yeah, I, I, I'm. I'm optimistic that there's more energy into SF politics. And, and that's very much also Gary Tan, um, yeah. although classic, and it's not Gary, the, the guy, I think Gary and, and Grow SF is supporting when Elon wanted to put money in, going back to how unpopular Elon is, the, the guy had to kind of do this, this kabuki theater of like, oh, like, you know, Elon, you know, F Elon too. Like, you know, let me, let me virtue signal. He's anti-worker, et cetera. Yeah. The, yeah. Um, so it, what do you think about the idea of like, think about all these, the charter city network state movement, they're trying to coordinate people online and then coordinate with some, you know, do a deal with some government to get some piece of land. And I think, I think the places are like Honduras or Croatia or Africa or some sort of, you know, place where, where jurisdiction might, might cut a deal. And that's like one option people are pursuing. And, and to me, that seems, well, it seems excited, exciting as a potential model. It seems fraught in the sense that, I think one thing we learned over COVID is that people aren't really going to move or like a lot of elite people aren't going to move in mass. Um, like it's almost like Twitter, like people went to threads, but there wasn't really a dent to Twitter. Right. And similarly, like some people went to Miami, some people went to Austin, some people went to New York, some people went to LA, but it wasn't really a dent in the network effect, which is all to say, what if that those movements, instead of trying to go to Croatia or Honduras, actually just tried to go to San Francisco or New York it's almost like the free state project of New Hampshire and try to make, uh, you know, change happen via, via like immigration, um, to, to these cities in the same way that Elon didn't try to start a new Twitter. He just bought existing Twitter. Obviously you can't just buy a city in the, in the same way, but you can change, change the numbers a bit. If, if people coordinate in mass, what do you think of that idea? Well, there, I mean, there are a bunch of different concepts there, but let, let, let's just actually take the last point. I actually do think you can buy a city. And I don't think that it's that expensive. Um, I think if you if if you had the but I, I mean buy San Francisco or New York. No, buy buy off the political machine. I think if you put enough money into it, you put several billion dollars into winning an election in San Francisco, like a city level election with supervisors. I'm 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 pretty sure you could you could you could flip it. And so it's just a question. It's it's a tragedy of the commons. It's like which billionaire cares enough about San Francisco 
that is also not communist because the only billionaire who seems to care enough about San Francisco, and I don't know if he's putting his real money, uh, his own money, because he seems to want to increase taxes on other companies is Mark Benioff. And he's a communist. So like, <laughs> uh, I, I think it's like, maybe that's a little extreme to call Mark Benioff a communist, but I, I think he... He, he, like Reed Hoffman or, or some of these other folks in, in tech, they um, make money in, in technology and then they fund the people who absolutely hate them. Um, and, and they continue to do it over and over and over again. But um, yeah, so I, I actually think you can buy San Francisco. I, I think it's actually a relatively cheap election in the scheme of things. I think effectively, I, I don't actually, I should go learn the history on this, but my sense is Bloomberg probably effectively did that in New York. Um, in an era when the, the the dollar numbers for the mayoral race was a lot smaller, I think, you know, he kind of went from being a business guy, you know, he wasn't a politician before that to just kind of like willing himself into being the mayor. He actually, I think, increased the term limits. So it used to be, I want to say two term limits, and then he got it to go to three because he wanted to do another. And so so he, he was able to really exercise a lot of influence in New York um, through his financial resources. And so that was actually one of the reasons I think a lot of people... Um, in retrospect, kind of like naively thought he was going to be able to come into the race in 2020 with a you know, geriatric Biden and you know, Trump, who was deeply unpopular, at least with 50% of the country and, and kind of run um, and, and win the Democratic nomination. Uh, and, and he got toasted in the first debate. So which then goes back to my point is that at the national stage, the, the bigger the stage, the more you have to be an actor like there is a reason Reagan like was able to to like run for president is like that profile actually works really well when when you, you can sell the kind of retail politics in a way that feels more Hollywood. Hey, we'll continue our interview in a moment after a word from our sponsors. Hey, everyone, Eric here. At Turpentine, we're building the first media outlet for tech people by tech people. We're the network behind the show you're listening to right now. We have a slate of hit shows across a range of topics and industries, from our AI and investing cluster of podcasts to shows that drive the conversation in tech with the most interesting thinkers, founders, investors, and influencers, like Econ 102 with Noah Smith. We're launching new shows every week, and we're looking for industry-leading sponsors. If you think that might be you and your company, email me at ericaturpentine.co. That's E-R-I-K at turpentine.co, and let's partner together. But going back to your, your other point on the network state stuff. So this is interesting. I gave a talk actually remotely. This is a, this is a fun anecdote. So Balaji says, hey, you should come to the network state conference in uh, Amsterdam. And I'm like, oh, I'd love to, but I don't travel. Uh, like, you know, like little kids work. No. He's like, great. Here's a cal- calendar link. Let's do a remote talk. And so I was like, okay, like you, you kind of took me to me there. Um, so I talked to him for, you know, an hour. A uh, bunch of unreleased footage there in the sense that, we, we, he cut it down to three minutes in terms to keep it really tight uh, from a content standpoint. But we just talked about Farcaster and, and, and network states and, and kind of how there's an interplay there. And it's had me thinking over the last kind of like six weeks. And so kind of interesting to think about the, I'd be curious what some of these, you, know, you call it new city movements, network states, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think Balaji is in this camp, but I actually think most of the people who are trying to build the new countries or cities um, aren't necessarily coming from this, this realm. Although uh, who's the his name? Mark Lore, I think is trying to build one when, and so he, you know, he's had a couple of very successful exits. So, so clearly has operated in that, in that um, regard, but just thinking about it, it's like, okay, so if you're going to start trying to build a city um, that's physical, like, let's just see, can you, can you get a fan club online? And, and so just start from like a pure cloud-based society um, and I have a little bit of experience with starting one because Farcaster effectively yeah, is that. Totally. But if you were to kind of um, start with that and then just try to get uh, the daily active user number of your cloud-based society to increase, I can promise you that is going to be insanely difficult that most people are just going to quit because it's, it's hard, right? Like, And so to get like a couple thousand people opening whatever app, Discord, Telegram, Farcaster, whatever whatever thing that you as the the entrepreneur trying to build one of these things to get to that, that scale is, is going to be a, a grind because you can generate an initial buzz and then everyone drops off because there's kind of nothing else to do. 
And so I think that that is actually the, the, the pipeline here is you got to build a community online, get them to basically treat this as a larger and larger percentage of their leisure time, right? Like they come home from their job at work and they're spending more and more time in this, this cloud society. And, and, you know, it sounds kind of cheeky, but like the reality is a, cha a chat group, whether that's moment of Zen or, uh, you know, and any of the n number of chat groups you, you spend time in, they're basically little communities, right? There are norms, there are, um, you know, kind of inside jokes, all this kind of stuff. And what's interesting is I think the average person, they, they have group chats, but usually group chats with people that they've already like met in person or have like, you know, college experience, hometown, family. And so I think it is a weird thing that like tech people, especially, and, 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 and it's internet culture broadly. So there are definitely ways for people to meet online, but I think crypto is actually the like kind of tip of the spear in this. It's just like people who meet online who, who start to become friends. And then they like start online and, and Twitter is like the ultimate place for most people to meet like this. And then you actualize that friendship in a, in a like kind of, you like, um, I don't even know the right word I want to say, because I would say consummate, but I, I think that has a different meaning, but, but, but you, you, you kind of like really develop the bonds by taking the cloud-based relationships and then you materialize it, whether it's at a conference or a meetup or whatever. And, and I've seen this with Farcaster in that we, I've never actually gone to, I, I've gone to a couple, the ones in LA, and then I went to one in Boston, but there have been some like several hundred person events organized by people on Farcaster for other people on Farcaster with minimal involvement from the, the kind of like founding team. And so, so now you're starting to get some type of like cloud-based society. I would argue that that is when you start to, like when people start to manifest by meeting up all over the world and then posting a photo back to the tribe to show that like, hey, like we're, it's, it, there's a religious component to it, right? It's like, why do you go to your, your, your weekly mass or your temple or whatever? It's, it's, it's to kind of like bring the community together to kind of like remind you for what you stand for. And so I think that that is actually the way to back into this stuff. And, and, and to be clear, I think biology very much believes that as well. Um, but I think to date, most of the entrepreneurs, they get excited about, they're like thinking they're playing the game SimCity. Yeah. When the reality is you're, you're, you're actually trying to build a religion. I think much like that, that's the first version of the game before you get to the physical manifestation. The, the last point you mentioned, um, or I guess the middle point about elites, elites don't immigrate, period. So just like who, who moved to the US? <laughs> the, the, the basket of deplorables, the, the people who... You know, right. Puritans getting pushed out of um, of England, they end up in a spot, uh, you know, kind of young men who don't necessarily have land holdings or, 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 you know, the third son. Like you get a whole variety of reasons of people who move. You have a lot of indentured servitude um, from early people before before slavery actually became a, a bigger thing in, in the colonies. And and they were there for you know, over a hundred, hundred years before you started to really develop into its own country. And so I, I think one challenging thing about that is one, you actually need to organically build your, your new nobility and elite. Um, and, and Eugene Way's post on social networks talks about this, right? It's like new social networks coin new stars. Um, because the, the existing nobility or elite does not have any incentive. Like, why, like I already run the show here. Like, why, why do I need to leave? And so I think in, in that regard, none of these projects are actually going to attract the powerful people today um, with maybe the one exception is this, this one in, um, in Solano County in, in California, because it's within driving distance. But even there, it's like, if you're a billionaire and you live in, in Woodside or, or um, you know, Pack Heights, you're going to go move to the startup city? in like the, no, it's like you, you already, you already can solve all the problems of the city. So it's, it's the marginal person or the person who's, who's just arriving, who says, Hey, I actually want to go to this new thing. Uh, I don't have a lot to lose. And so that, that, that I think is the biggest challenge. So if, if you were to ask me, how do you fix SF? It's just get like a really rich person, um, probably on the order of an Elon to just basically be willing to underwrite because he's unlikely to want to go spend the time on it. But let's say you found you found the person who just 
you know, the Robert Moses equivalent who just really understands the game and, and can actually allocate the money appropriately. And is not, they, they like, they are foundationally focused on the mission of solving SF and like making SF great, not necessarily lining their own pockets. It's fascinating. I mean, because one thing I think I was surprised by having, uh, you know, sort of spent some time away from San Francisco is that when I looked at the young people, the young, brilliant, ambitious people under 25 or under 30, where were they moving? San Francisco. And so it's, it's actually, it's, it's almost the opposite of what some people were saying. Like some elites were leaving San Francisco, not, not enough, but sort of the Keith boys, the Jack, Jack um, Abrahams, you know, all, all these, my good friends, people I, I really They're already respect. rich. Yeah, exactly. And, they, and they already, you're already rich, they already you leave it. SF. Yeah. yeah, they already made it. But people trying to make it all went to SF or, or major, like, and so SF it was just getting stronger um, as people, as it was, the government was getting more and more dysfunctional. And um, that, that's why I guess what I'm advocating for is like people who are focusing on these new projects as, as ambitious as they are. And I, I really admire them. It feels like the better bang for the buck to, to your point is, is maybe actually just apply the Elon strategy. It's like you're trying to raise all that money anyways to build a new city. Solano raised hundreds of millions of dollars. And, and why are you trying to have a new city? So you could avoid the government problem, the governance problems of the, of the, you know, the city you left, I San Francisco, but you could put that same money or less money into, into fixing it directly. And you could own Twitter instead of have to try to create a new one. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think it's, it's like an order of magnitude, if not too harder to do what they're in terms of a brand new city, but the, the project in Solano County is interesting for a couple of reasons. So one, all this, the network state type cities to date are in places that are far away from like elite like places. Right. And so the thing about elites is they want to spend time with other elites or do other things that other elites, like not everyone, but, but a lot of them, right. It's like, why do they congregate in all these expensive locales? It's because other elites are there. Um, and that thus that's what makes it expensive. Um, so what, what's interesting about it is it's actually within driving distance. Like uh, you could, you could go there for the day, uh, from SF. And so now that starts to get interesting. You're a stone's throw from Napa. So now you have elites who have vacation homes there, like, okay, and it's on the way to Tahoe. Now, the really elite people, like, not necessarily going to Tahoe or they're flying to Tahoe, but still, it, it's a, so now you're in the mix because it's, it's, it's within the, the kind of vicinity of, of the Bay Area, which is already the kind of concentration of, you know, super rich, super successful, ambitious people. It's like, it's, it's kind of a, a, a nice mix of stuff. Yeah. I think the problem, if I was to kind of like, try to guess on where, where it won't work. So the two, the two things, one, um, never underestimate the state of California's ability to just screw things up. Like I, that I think is the, the existential risk. And I think that's why they were so focused on secrecy. And, and obviously they, they are thinking about this, you know, deeply and, and trying to solve for it, but the state is, is, pretty powerful in terms of their ability to come up with excuses to prevent rich people from doing stuff that they don't want. So that that's one thing. Um, and you've already seen the mainstream media go after them, like complete mischaracterization of, of how, you know, it's like willing landholders sold to people about at above market prices. And instead it's turned into, it's like, it's just almost like trying to say, it's like you stole indigenous land. Like, like it's so stupid. But, but because it's like billionaire bad, therefore, like if billionaire does anything innovative, like we, we need to cover it as, as oppressor oppressed, right. To, to take the theme of the, the, uh, the last couple of months here. Um, but the, the second thing is, okay, who moves there? So let's say you get through the regulatory hurdles. You really do have a brand new city because it was an honor, un, you know, it was within Solano County. They gave you a new city charter. So you, you basically kind of have carte blanche to, to design it. So, so you got to go build it. So that will take time. Um, are you building it like cul-de-sac, which, you know, I, I'm an investor and known Ryan since open door days. They're just getting to the finished project. And, and this is what, five years later. So, so it's like, okay, so now you're extending it out. So fine. We're, we're saying this is a long-term project, but do I move to a city if it basically feels like all brand new and it's all kind of um, cookie cutter, like in the sense that there is really, it doesn't feel the aesthetic that people want, but, but maybe, maybe they, they're just going to have un, uh, you know, unrivaled aesthetic bar and, 
you know, bring in really interesting arts, architects, public art. And I think one, one thing they can nail is like, if they have parks, like, and you just put a ton of greenery, I think people will find it um, really nice. And so I, I think they get all this, but I think that the harsh reality of like the state of California and then actually just like building the physical world still is hard, even if you have all the, the rules to control. Um, but maybe I, I think if they, if they do it and, you know, I think what you'll probably end up getting is that you'll get a lot of immigrants or people who move to the U S who are like, okay, this is cheaper. It like is kind of cool. Cause there are a lot of young people here who are ambitious and yeah, I'll live here. It's like a little closer to Tahoe, like close to Napa weather's warmer than SF. Um, and if you can get a couple of anchor tenants, right. It's like the Collison's are investor. If Stripe opens an office there like that. So, so I definitely think of all the projects, it's, it's got the, the right set of ingredients to potentially have success. But I, I agree. I, I think the question is, let's say you were, you couldn't do Farcaster anymore and you were dedicated to this idea of creating a, a tech hub and, you know, different people have different goals with new cities. Some people are trying to do legal or, or uh, sort of, you know, experiment, experimental zones, or, or they're just attached to something that requires building something new. But if, if you were, if you were focused on, Hey, I want to build the, the next Silicon Valley or, or something. Um, it'd probably be a lot easier to do it within the existing Silicon Valley and just, you know, work with that beast of a political machine than to do it from scratch somewhere else that would, you'd have to coordinate a ton of people to move there. Would, I'm curious if you agree with that premise, which is in contrast to what we've heard the past decade, which it, it feels, you know, our, our friend Balaji has harped over this sort of, you can't reform, you have to exit. Now he's, he's changed his tune a bit and we'll get to the great, great tribe that, episode that we mentioned, but it feels like there's been um, more of an emphasis or more confidence on the idea of reform than, hey, you just have to exit and start anew, partially because exiting and starting anew is so hard. And also because Elon provided a model of, of reform that kind of surprised us all. Is it, do you sympathize with that logic? But Elon, Elon is in an environment where he's 100% in control, right? Like you can't do that in a democratically elected society. I mean, you, you, you just can't. So um, the reform is a different version. Now, obviously, the, the new the tech city in Solano County is not exit and it's not reform. It's you are doing it within the constructs of California, which is the state that is going to present you with the most problems, right? Least least likely to want a new city in California for sure. Um, yeah. But you're you're if you can solve for the kind of set of constraints there uh or you know blockers uh related to the state of california and, and solano county or um then then you actually do have uh new and and then that's the thing is no one else can compete against that like so let's just take an example um the project in in honduras because i think that for a while that that was kind of like the way prospera or whatever right and and i think that was kind of the the golden project uh, of, of all these new new city type things, uh, and and people were saying, hey, look, like Honduras passed um, a constitutional amendment that allowed for these special economic zones. They're going to do one in the interior of the country, which kind of like okay, whatever. But the the one out on this island, which is already a Roatan or whatever, um, there's like a vacation destination because the, the, there's good scuba diving there. Um, and so this is what we're going to start with. So it's kind of like take Puerto Rico, but like we're going to try to build a Singapore or a Hong Kong starting. And then new, what, I think it was like a communist government flipped over in Honduras. And, and then they were like, uh, yeah, so we're, we're getting rid of this this rule. Like, and, and so I, I actually don't know where the latest is on it. And, and maybe it's flipped back. But I think you can't... Um, you can't build Hong Kongs in countries that don't have strong institutions. Like the whole reason you're able to go negotiate one of those deals is that they basically are, are failed institutions. I mean, now what's interesting is like El Salvador is in this unique situation, right? It's like failed country up until recently. And you have this kind of pretty aggressive reformer uh, who's definitely using a set of tactics that I don't think most Americans would find tasteful under our set of values, but relative to, the average person in El Salvador, um, at least if you believe the data that's coming out of El Salvador, they seem pretty happy because crime has basically gone to zero. Um, he, he's an example, though. So it's like, you know, he had the, the kind of Bitcoin buy and he was going to do volcano mining and all this other kind of stuff. And um, as the price of Bitcoin came down, he he, he got um, kind of accosted by your classic like international community professional managerial class. But Bitcoin 
continues to tick back up. So that might end up being a, a good trade. But you could imagine a um, like a strong-willed leader who is willing to actually say, "Yeah, I want the investment in El Salvador." So we are actually going to put an S, uh, you know, a special economic zone. We're going to outsource the courts to, you know, the Brits or American arbitration or whatever, and and really commit to doing that and and have like a generational mindset. In the same way that you know Singapore with Lee Kuan Yew like had a real leader who was who was kind of thinking about the future, multiple moves ahead rather than just kind of how they could benefit themselves. Um, so so yeah, I I think if you can get the thing done in California though near the Bay Area, like I mean it is basically the Bay Area, then then it's game over in terms of like I think of those other projects. Like if you're going to be the smart, ambitious person, you're going to want to be in this startup city, um, assuming it's successful enough. Because you're going to be closest to the the highest concentration of smart, ambitious, uh, totally. you know, successful people in the world, so it, it's like a no brainer. So if they pull it off, I, I, no, I I'm, think I'm, I'm rooting for them for sure. Hey, we'll continue our interview in a moment after a word from our sponsors. My my question is, you know, I go back to the Gray Tribe episode that we did with Balaji, and if people haven't listened to that, they should check it out. I was inspired by that for a few reasons. One, because to me, it seems like it's Balaji's idea that has the most sort of uh, broad appeal. At least it, it's, it, it, you know, the critique that some people have of Balaji is that sort of anti, uh, you know, it's too quick to exit and maybe a little anti-American um, of the uh, of some sort of vibe of the network state. Whereas Great, Great Tribe is no, actually, um, let's sort of, uh, it, it's pro-American or let, let's not give up on our cities and let's actually like fight for them. Um but then also this broad, this also idea of like, uh, you know, you mentioned a big a religion, and I, I take that to mean like a moral community that stands for something and has rituals. And the Great Tribe, as, as Balaji kind of outlined, is like, it's like a pro-tech, you know, non-leftist um, sort of uh, community that supports builders and coordinates on the ground to make sure that there are pro-tech uh, policies. And you can imagine that happening in San Francisco. You could imagine that happening in other cities. And so. I'm I'm curious about the idea of like, hey, could you know tens of thousands of people move to San Francisco and change the voting demographics of the city? Like supervisor ele elections are determined by hundreds of votes, low thousands of votes. If if a bunch of people, you know, it's sort of the Free State Project in New Hampshire for people who are un unfamiliar, I believe is this project where uh, a bunch of people coordinated it said, hey, if enough of us move to you know say that we'll move to New Hampshire, we'll all move as a block. And be able to influence the sort of you know vote, voting demographics there, and I, I believe they've been they've had some some success. Uh, I, I think it was on the libertarian side. Maybe, maybe you know more. And so, one, I'm curious if you think that is is feasible, um, and if, if that would or if that would make a change. Basically, could enough people actually move here, um, and would that make a change? Because I think the pull to move to a place like San Francisco for not you know under 35, non married people who are building their tech career is. Uh, is very strong, and I think there are millions of these these people, and it's much stronger than going to cul-de-sac or going to going to a new place. And I really respect what cul-de-sac is doing, what Solano Project is doing. But starting new, it's so hard. And you you know, someone's building a new social network, and of course, you're doing it in a different way, and you you got a new class of people, and, it, and it's working. But um, you know, incumbents are always going to have that advantage. So there's a few ideas there, but how would you react to that? Well, let's just take the ta like like actually break down when we say can we get people to move to SF and change the city. So SF is the better one because the city is I think it's eight hundred thousand, maybe it's a million people. You know, it's it's not actually that big of a city relative to New York, right? Um, so if, let let's just take the how many supervisors? Eight, twelve? I, I I forget. Let's just keep it simple. I think Ten supervisors. Okay, um, and each election is a thousand the 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 swing vote is a thousand of votes right so you just need to get you know about thousand people in that that district to reliably vote for the the better of the candidates so just imagine you can make all those assumptions so now you need ten thousand people in ten district or you know like thousand people in ten districts so you have ten thousand people basic example um five thousand dollars a month stipend for your apartment if if you're on this thing and the way it works is you can't prove someone voted, but maybe there's some kind of ways to do it. Um, 
in terms of like, okay, if the, if the, if the candidate doesn't win, you, you lose this type. So you, you're kind of incentivized to just like, okay, like I'm going to go vote for this because I, I, I want. And, and you do have examples of this, like teachers unions are pretty influential in getting their members to vote for the right candidate. Um, you know, so, so I think you can kind of go study how that, that happens and, and, and really just, let's just make the assumption you could really drive those 10,000 people. So a thousand in each district uh to to vote so five thousand dollars a month times 12 is sixty thousand times ten thousand people six hundred million a year i mean elon has that as like couch cushion money so <laughs> but i mean you got to raise a bunch of money and it, and it's a one year expense but I don't know, like that. So, so the question is, is like, of what percentage of his net worth? Like, you know, obviously he's very tied up with Twitter, but like, you could you could go cobble it together from a couple of people, and you can kind of view it as, I mean, what is it? What is a presidential campaign at this point? A billion, two billion dollars all in in terms of like the pack and money and 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 campaign money. So, six hundred million for the the kind of like epicenter of of growth and the country to like flip the city and actually get all of the supervisors flipped. And here's the thing, you probably wouldn't even do that because if you even just added a few hundred, like if you started to make the number, the, the votes get closer, you would have a naturally um, like a moderating effect on how yeah. extreme the politicians were because now they know that they can potentially lose. So, and, and, and those are just like, I just threw like, you know, very high numbers. I'm sure you could, you could negotiate it smaller or you, you buy some of the real estate. So this is a tax advantage. Like, I mean, you, you could come up with more sophisticated, but yeah, I, I think it's, you, you get a billion dollar budget. You, you could flip house half. Um, I mean, you, hell, you could probably, it's not a bribe, but you say, Hey, if this, this candidate wins, I, I'm going to build a park or I'm, I bought up all this, this real estate here and I'm going to build a new community center. Okay. Like you probably don't even have to, like you, you, you can, you can be really aggressive with your own money in a way that you can stipulate if the city, if, if your district flips, I'm, I'm going to go put money into your district. Fascinating. So, so, so like that, but like, I haven't ever heard someone pitch me like that. Instead they're like, oh, we're going to, we're going to have like rally meetups and, and like, you know, it's like, we're going to do the, the American political process. It's like, no, no, just like, steamroll the thing, like figure out, like build the app, like, right, like Curtis has written about this, Bology's talked about this. It's like you build the, the like app to make these political campaigns run as um, aggressively as possible in terms of voter kind of turnout and, and, and yeah. engaging a group of people. And then just go as aggressive as you can in terms of, of spending money um, and, and do it in unconventional ways. Right. Uh, I think the other problem with politics is you tend to have a lot of political advisors who tell you to do the same things because their, their, their incentive is to get hired for the next campaign, uh, not to take risks and then have it lose and be like, this guy had all these wacky ideas and they didn't work. Like it, it, failure is not celebrated in political culture. <laughs> it, it, it's like, it's, it's, it's much more traditional. And so, I think you have to have a complete Silicon Valley YC style mindset to this, right? Hell, like you could even do this, this, this version where it's like X prize style where you say, Hey, like outcome, if, if this candidate wins, I'm going to fund these five like things that people have really high meaning. No one can do anything. It, it like you're, you're, and and maybe some lawyer is going to respond and say like oh that's like a violation of like federal election law or whatever but if you're not paying the candidate okay and you're basically just it's a quid pro quo of saying like this person gets elected there's a brand new park for the land that i bought here in this neighborhood fascinating right i like i, I just like why, why aren't people doing more aggressive stuff like that and and the thing is like okay well money is is definitely the issue but i i think my view is like a lot of the people who've got a lot of money are pretty uninspired with what they do with it. Easy for me to say. Um, but yeah, like you gave me $20 billion. I bet you could uh, get you San Francisco flip. Yeah. It, it's fascinating. It's like, we don't even like tech is so politically absent. Like tech companies don't even encourage their people to vote like in mass. Like you can imagine, Hey, tech companies are X percent of San Francisco. There should be coordination around who's a, who's our candidate, 
and you know, Grow SF is trying to, is putting out voter guides and they're doing great work, but most tech people don't vote. Um, and um, you can imagine an initiative to for tech companies to tell their employees to vote for certain, you know, voter guides for tech, like pro tech lobbyist group. You know, David Sachs once recommended an all in like that every if every company put one month's rent into a organization that represented tech interests, like you could make make some real Im- impact there. And that's something way smaller than the impact or than the scale of the project that you're recommending, which I, I love the ambition. And I'm just saying how far we are from that, that we can't even do like the most basic thing. But like the no one in San Francisco reads local news. Like there is no like culture, like you, no one's getting the San Francisco Chronicle. Yes, there are some people who do that. Like you, you can have an actually, or, you know, reply guy type. But like my, my sense of living there for almost a decade, no one was keeping up on local news. They didn't know who their supervisor was. They didn't know the political issues. You would hear it through kind of like it would be some viral tweet. Now, I think it's actually a lot more prominent now that social media is a lot more sophisticated about this. But it would be kind of like you'd hear it at a party or whatever, and you'd be like, oh, wow, that's crazy. And then you would go back to kind of focusing on whatever you're focusing on. And I think that the issue with San Francisco is people aren't from there. So there are no real roots um, in terms of most people who are working in the tech industry. So they're they're in the classic mode of classic PMC or even if you're an entrepreneur, so you're not necessarily PMC, like you're you're just like, hey, man, like all I'm trying to do here is build a company and make money and maybe get laid like that. That's like, that's all like I'm, I'm focused on in terms of like being a young 20 something in San Francisco. I don't actually care about this. And there's a decent chance that I, if I, if I don't win this game and end up in the Bay area and like live in like one of the wealthy suburbs, uh, I move back home and, and like, you know, have my job there. And I, I care more about that local community. And so you have this, this transient population that obviously that plays super well into the, the kind of like establishment within San Francisco, because the people, the crusty old people who've, who've been in San Francisco for a long time um, have outsized influence and are able to kind of maintain a lot of the status quo. Um, and again, it's not universally true, but, but my sense of like every person I worked with at Coinbase, like no one, you know, if they lived in the city, they had very minimal involvement in city politics. Now, the era I was at Coinbase, like, you know, Trump gets elected, people were going out to the women's march and to, you know, they were worried about the border and like are working with like ICE for doing cryptocurrency exchange. Like, you know, they, they were ready to go to the kind of like national level virtue signaling and, and you know, slacktivism within the company. But the local activist stuff that, I mean, that that's like, that's actual grunt work. And like, you know, why, why, why would you do that? And it doesn't, doesn't make you seem that cool. Yeah. It's, it is fascinating, by the way, comparing local and national, because one thing I've, I've, I've like started to understand a little bit better is this idea on a national politics, like controversy is good, right? Vivek makes a lot of controversy and he goes from zero to on the map. I, I know he's not making any real uh, impact yet, but he's, he's, Wait, where, are all those, where are all those reply guys uh, who, who told me my take was wrong? I kind of, <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for you to come back and, and tell me that I was right. Yeah. I, I think I, I, I maintain my position that he's a future uh, influencer in politics post Trump. Uh, I think he's got a, a real shot, but um, regardless, just as an example, like controversy is good nationally because you have one group that hates you and another group that loves you. But what I, I had started to appreciate is that local, like, you know, the Solanas, Tandlers, Sachs, these people who have become pretty famous. And, you know, Solana, Sachs, obviously famous for other reasons as well. And, and Tandler's great too. But um, for their SF takes, a lot of people who like their SF takes don't live in SF. And so they, they sort of, um, it's not necessarily in their advantage within SF, like uh, to have the positions that they do because they don't represent the constituents, even though they represent the country. And so th- that divorcing of sort of like actual um, sort of what's best to win in SF is is interesting. And, and that, that's where I got the idea of, oh, you just need more voters, like the same people who, who like that content just need to move to San Francisco. Um, and it, it just goes to show how viral of a topic San Francisco, you mentioned you need to build, build a religion, you needing to build a movement around something that excites people and saving San Francisco is a viral that excites people. That's a viral topic. People would, would move for that. 
I don't think people move from across the country to San Francisco. They move, they move to San Francisco because they want to make money. So, so, (laughs) so if you take the group of people who are already moving there to make money and say, Hey, if you're going to live here, might as well, you know, vote and I'll subsidize your rent or I get some direct benefit out of it. Right. Cause you have to model the person moving there as they don't think they're going to live there forever. So they're, again, they're going to focus on making money and then going out to a bar and, you know, trying to find someone to hook up with like that, like that is the level of, of, of focus on, on San Francisco. Um, and so I, I think the, the, the thing that people are excited about is, is a mission for a company, right? Like, so you, you have a company like SpaceX or Anduril. That's a, something that someone will move across the country for because of twofold. One, they can make money. And then two, it's, it's really cool what you're working on. Yeah. And, I, and I actually saw this at SpaceX when my wife was there. Um, it, it, these people were taking pay cuts to go work at SpaceX. And this is, you know, it's like a pretty established company at this point. But these are like people leaving like a, a McKinsey or a Goldman and willing to kind of take this brutal job, work crazy hours um, and not a ton of upward mobility because the, the, the company has been around for a while. And a lot of the senior people, for the most part, are, are kind of have been there for a while and, and, and are, are very competent. Um, and they're there for life because they're super excited about this Mars mission. Yet they continue to still pull talent in because it's just what what's cooler than working on on at SpaceX, right? And and so that is the the thing that San Francisco does have is, or at least had, and the Bay Area definitely still has it. And I think that with AI, it 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 you know has a glimmer of this again is the most innovative and interesting companies, for the most part, are all there. And so that is the reason people are going to go actually move. And that's what they're going to be motivated about. And to your point, if the company and the founder is saying, well, I don't know if my employees are all going to be here forever or that, you know, they can be transient, but I am. And like, I actually like it here. Then they are the ones that actually need to motivate and, and, and kind of get up there at their town hall meeting and saying, Hey, here's my one political spiel. Like, I don't care national stuff. It's not as relevant for us. We're here in San Francisco. Here's a set of candidates that we, you know, as part of a wider group of tech companies think serve tech interests, do your own research, you know, fundamentally exercise your, your political right to decide who to vote for. But if you believe in what we are doing and, and what, what we are doing as like a broader set, vote, vote the slate. And, and, and that, that is a, I, I, and I, again, I would actually would love to have some type of an interview of really understanding how union block voting organizer or, or any type. Democrats seem to have very good uh, operations on, the, on these huge blocks that just consistently vote Democrat. And so it's like, how does that actually work? McCann, I understand how the, the leader of those organizations tends to be very happy about that because they get benefit, whether it's through some indirect economic compensation, status, whatever. But more importantly, how does how does that leader of whatever union or, or voting block actually deliver those votes? Um, because I, I know how they used to do it, the like, you know, Richard Daly's of the world and, and the, like the ethnic machines of the early 20th century. That was a little um, less volunteer and a little bit more. Uh, this is how you are going to vote. But th- there is a. a truth to that in the sense of if, like you can really get people motivated about something and trust you on, on whatever mission you're headed on voting for a local politician, especially if they're not even going to care about it to begin with, like that should be a pretty easy thing to, you know, you, you, they're already making huge sacrifices for you by working at your company, working for equity that you don't know what the future value of it is going to be. So to me, that that's like the, don't worry about getting more people to move to San Francisco. Just, just organize the people that are already there. And maybe there's a little bit of like in a world where supervisors are the thing to win is you got to shift people around the city. And so it's like, yeah, uh, no one really wants to move to whatever neighborhood. I don't want to pick on a specific neighborhood, but let's say the worst neighborhood in San Francisco, but that's the one they need to flip. Okay. Subsidize. Like that, that's, that's where you should, you should be like, okay, we can't get, we can get plenty of people to move to the mission, but we can't get anyone to move to Bayview or Crockett Amazon or whatever we're, we're going to, we're going to subsidize on, on this. And so there are going to be people who will be like, yeah, I'll take free housing. Yeah. 
It's it's fascinating. I do I do agree that you know people aren't going to move for an abstract uh, you know desire to save save this goal. People move to make money, and that includes you know not spend a ton of money, i.e., cost of living, uh, and also to you know have a friend group or find a romantic partner, uh, and kind of um, so ultimately the value prop has to has to has to be there, um, and and they're not going to move to a place that has a ton of crime, you, you know, or a place where they feel un- unsafe. So I totally agree with that. I also, uh, I, I think the the vision I would think is less like save San Francisco and more, you know, be around the most talented people and and you know most interesting people. And I, I think it's it's basically it just doesn't make sense that you you know all these people that we chat with on our podcast who are similarly aligned don't live in the same place. Like we would like a, I remember a decade ago Patrick Collison said something like the acts of San Francisco's government has led to like trillions of dollars of lost economic value or something or I, I can't remember if you said trillions of dollars or like one of the greatest misuses of of you know uh sort of a a dense uh of the city of san francisco uh, basically just talking about how wasted the opportunity was because if you just quick detour for a second if you look at all the book like where good ideas come from all the studies around like great cities and what what led to their greatness it's basically uh high density of incredibly innovative people. And San Francisco had that. It still has it to some extent, but it could like triple down on it. Like it, talent wants to agglomerate if, if, if you let it. And um, I think just like leaning into that um, could, could be really strong. That, that's what gets me excited. I, I don't have any like romantic attachment to San Francisco. I, I wasn't born here. I just happen to think there's the highest concentration of interesting and innovative people here. And I just... I think we're just getting in our own way and I want to quadruple down on getting more, more of those people. And I, I hear what you're saying, which is, Hey, think short term. And it's much easier to get existing people to vote than it is to get new people to move. And I'm excited about b- both of those things because I, I want to be in a, in a, I want to be surrounded by all the most brilliant and interesting people. And there's just compounding benefits to having them all in a, in the same place. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you, you have to you have to get the existing population to flip, and then the other people will it'll it'll create its own demand in the sense that a well-run San Francisco would be a place I would consider moving back to, right? I'm at a place in my life where I'm thinking less city over time, yeah. but in a world where you had a really well-functioning San Francisco, like you know, ten out of ten, what what your dream version of it? Yeah, yeah, it would be an amazing place to be, um, and you know, hopefully you would have schools that didn't think algebra was racist and and like all of the other kind of things that I think are important f- for people from a family standpoint. Cause I think fundamentally that that's the other big issue is say what you want about the homeless stuff. Um, the, the primary reason, you know, people still deal with the homeless stuff because it's, it's, it's worth the trade off is you have kids and then one, you know, you start to pay attention a little bit more when it's like, okay, there's a homeless person and, and I'm in LA. So we, we have a version of the problem as well. But when you're walking with and the homeless person's straight out on the ground with fentanyl or whatever, you're like, okay, whatever. I, I can kind of get around that or walk across the street. But when you're walking your your two-year-old son and you you can't move that fast when you're walking with him and you have to kind of like drag him across the street because you don't really want to walk, like that is where you start to like click it as like, is this is this where I want to raise a kid? And then you get to the second stage of the schools. And you kind of realize, oh my goodness, the schools are awful um, and they've only gotten worse because they've decided that honors classes are racist, algebra is racist, like whatever, whatever woke. Uh, I mean, they're re- literally woke madrasas at this point, to use a David Sachs term. Um, he re- usually refers to the universities, but like in, in my view, it's like you, you took away the only thing of upward mobility for poor Asian immigrants or any, anyone from anywhere, you know, Gary Tan loves to talk about like how, you know, good school system allowed him to excel from math standpoint and that. And, and so it's like the, that, uh, ass hattery needs to go away as well. And so it, it's not just like a come in and fix the homeless like that. That's like base, you know, okay. Law and order after you've done that. Now, now you actually need to kind of, like, how, how can we have excellent school systems so that, you, you don't say, okay, we, the only way you can actually give your kid a, a good education and living in San Francisco is sending to a private school. Now, my, my, my view is you're, you're just never going to fix the schools as long as the teachers unions exist. So you either go some version of charter schools 
which I think would be a pretty hard sell in California. So I actually think you need to do it at the state level. Or you increase micro schools and, and homeschools because especially with AI, the, the technology gives a lot more leverage and, and you'll just have groups of families who say, okay, actually, this is half the price of a, an expensive private school, but it's actually better education. And, and so maybe that, that's the way to, to solve for it. But I, I think those are the, the two, to, in order to make San Francisco like truly an, an amazing city, you just have to have basic level of governance. And then the school system needs a major, major overhaul. Yeah. I think that's a good place to 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 to, to wrap for now. Um, we'll uh, continue these uh, or go we'll keep on these topics at, at, at some point and get the relevant people involved. But uh, this was a, a good brainstorm, uh, Dan. Uh, thanks for as always, and until next time. Later. Hey, it's Eric. There's no shortage of tech and business podcasts, but few actually give you a true and regular dose of the future. The A16Z podcast is the exception. It's a lighthouse for founders breaking down the most important trends in technology and business. Struggling to keep up with the pace of change in AI? They just spoke to top builders from OpenAI, Anthropic, Roblox, and more. Wondering what on earth is happening up in space? They just dropped a series on the satellite economy. Or questioning whether recent salary transparency legislation will cause clarity or chaos? They just broke down how companies can not only survive, but thrive in this new environment. Host Steph Smith sits down with some of the world's most influential people, movers who have a track record of being both early and right, like Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, Nobel Prize winning astrophysicist John Mather, and A16Z co-founders Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz. So go ahead, eavesdrop on the future by following the A16Z podcast on your favorite podcast app and tell them I sent you.